Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Apostle Tevo DRC of DFW Leader Online Ministry Fellowship, such as onlinefellowship.us, head of the TCL, Tevo Creative Leadership side, where we teach and train, we improvise, we spontaneously connect, and we do whatever the Lord says, but a lot of is in training. And I always mention, for those that are curious, those that are out there that haven't heard, my dad was a pastor, but it wasn't like he was a regal pastor. He wasn't like a, you know, pompous pastor. He was just a low-key person, very average, probably. But what he did, he left me a legacy, an imprint in my life of the Lord that I could never, ever want to forget because of his love, his gentle, behind-the-scenes, patient father, servanthood, loving. I don't think he ever would have been an orator or, you know, he loved my mother as Christ loved the church. He respected all types of people, his mother, her mother, us two daughters, as well as everybody else across races. And then it was just like an humble day by day doing what the Lord said. So I don't have any high achievements, you know, financially in my background, but I do have a legacy of love without racism because I never heard one accuser tone from mother, father, or family. They were all Christians, real Christians, educated, you know, pretty well educated, but just down to earth and hum- humble. They really were trying to act like Jesus, and they were none of them. I never heard one racist, one accuser of another faith or anything, no legalism because they were all working on themselves and it left me with a heritage I would like to keep going. So it helped me have a blank slate when I got out there with the Christians and their doctrine and I had never been among charismatics growing up. I never heard of stuff. I don't know if they were invented. I know Pentecostals were, people that spoke in tongues were, but because of my background Baptist, I never had met any till later when I made Jesus Christ Lord the Holy Spirit moves in America came, all the Jesus people in the vineyard and all the different moves in worship and Hosanna integrity and and then different moves, word of faith, Holy Spirit outpourings, Toronto blessing, all those types of things, many things in between bigger and smaller, much smaller at the local level. Because I was raised grassroots Christian, that was my contentment. That's where I am content. There was no mega Christian ministry anywhere that I ever heard of until later when, you know, all the Jim Baker and Jim Swagger, the TV era came and things started to really grow. You know, Bill, Billy Graham was one, but he wasn't celebrity. He was just down to earth, but he was very important. And that's why we like to always remind us that we probably each in this day with all the media, information, misinformation, styles of preachers and teachers, males and females, old and young, black, white, and brown, I think we need to pull up a YouTube, probably two YouTubes of Billy Graham in a service and note his demeanor, his topic, the crowd's reaction, the anointing, his demeanor, and like I said, his theology. Because he was, if anything, to shake our nation to get it on track. Well, he passed. Now we need to work on ourselves again because it and be the real deal. You know, things have happened in all of our lives where the authentic Christ, the authentic 
being born again, the authentic ministry, the authentic Christian is hard to find. Harder and harder to find because I live at grassroots and I enjoy grassroots. I like being down to earth and sent to grassroots. I know the difference between sitting in a church and sitting out with the real people who may go to church, might never go to church, may hate the thought of church or Jesus because they've had only some racists or bigots or homophobes or Bible thumpers, and that's what I'm trying to work on. We're trying to de-pollute what goes on under the name of Christianity and Christian ministry, being born again, knowing the Bible, Bible thumping, and make it assessing, not accusing. No Phariseeism, no legalism. See, I wasn't brought about all this teaching, you know, on strict, everybody watching out, covering and over and under stuff. That is, you know, if you join an organization, of course you're over and under, but it wasn't like a legalism. Usually most groups like Baptists, they don't go looking around at the at the other people out of church calling them church hoppers or losers because they don't go to church like they do. I mean, Methodists, man, I had never been in a Methodist until I had the things go on in Denton where I fellowshiped with the Methodists for the first time in my life over an extended couple of months. And I was totally impressed with the lack, with the servant leadership, a community like Ephesians 4, meek and ongoing, long-suffering and getting along, diverse. But I never heard one big I or one little you. Everybody's equal. And that was like a shock and a ministry to my soul after I'd been through all this doctrine, predatory ministry, predatory stuff. I lost my family. The at ease, you know, the jaded Elihe priesthood, the fearful of taking, being taken advantage of, and the Methodists over there, First Methodists, United Methodists, love the homeless. They treated them with respect. They had special services, special uh, features, dinners, and lunches and breakfast for them. And they also had showers built so they could take off their gym so they could take showers. I thought that was just so neat, so sweet. So I honor them, but I really enjoyed the humility. That's what I did. I enjoyed taking off from the pomp and wear and tear of circus celebrity type goings on at the grassroots. There's a difference between celebrity, TV performance, and being big eye, little you, I'm for Apollos, I'm for famous Paul, I'm for I'm not for famous Paul, and being renowned. So now we can have vocabulary, nothing wrong with a call that makes you known and having renown. It's just when it gets into the bowing and scraping, the legalism, I don't listen to anybody except one kind or one person. That's what we're talking about. So all these things bring me to the topic that's very important about submission. Like I said, I was raised not under the law. I was raised by a Christian first, Baptist second. And and all I remember growing up is you obey your parents. Now, my mom was the real strict one. She was back then. She was, you know, before she met the Holy Spirit later, decades later. She was the enforcer, but she was also like a micromanager and very strict, maybe an autocrat, a loving, well-intentioned, happy and nice, smart autocrat. She wasn't abusive, but her, I don't know, there's something about the fear of the Lord and also fear of my mother that sort of held me back. It wasn't the fear of the Lord. It's really fear of 
you know, my mother doing, you know, just, uh, she was in charge. So I really had to grow up under two kinds of authority, the patient kind and that kind. And yet it kept me from, I guess, it really, whatever it was, I never rebelled outwardly as a pastor's kid. I didn't get drunk. I didn't want to go sneak around. I wasn't perfect. But I just remember the fear, <laughs> the fear of crossing my mother or something. I don't know what it was. I knew they were all praying for me, the family, the fear of God, whatever it was, both. Then I realized that I was an inner rebel. And you can go inside and just, you know, and my mother would get angry at me, you know, don't have that look on your face. So there's things I learned not to do, how to be calm, how not to scream, how not to, she didn't scream much. She just said, don't get that look on your face. And that would be like spiritually huge. So I grew up, I guess one reason I'm intuitive, prophetically insightful of relationships, observing doctrine and people and fruit is for that reason that I grew up watching out, don't trigger her to get her upset. And also, I'd also grown up watching Perry Mason reruns, black and white, with my mother, where you, which I really like mysteries, but my mother loved them. So we would watch them, and even as a young child in elementary school, I would pay attention. And I would notice that in the Perry Mason mysteries, every eyebrow, every word, every missing word is important to solving the mystery. So I grew up like that, thinking like that. One reason I think I like Twitter and comments, pithy comments, funny comments, because also during that age in my life, I would sit in doctor's office waiting for my physical exam, my dental exam, and I would get those Reader's Digest that used to be book, you know, the books in the office they used to have, and they had all those funny, those funny jokes. I'd skip the articles mainly and go to the jokes. So I grew up liking humor and liking to laugh and liking you know, insightful, wise comments. Uh, I can't explain it. God did a work before the big age of media. So when I grew up, I thought of, I taught part one of this submission, about submission, about families and spouses that are wed. All right, Christian family. Then I taught there's a difference between charismatic, sometimes, and traditional Baptist, or let's say Baptist or Christian. Because the difference I noticed was the amount of pressure how do I say it there can be less there's less legalism it looks like in a lot of the denominationals and a lot more sin spying or control you got to be under their second class because of ignorance and that could be anywhere black or white charismatic Baptist, Catholic, anywhere. But I'm trying to say, what is it that I notice consistently when I sit under different kinds of teachings, different styles? So that's that part one. The second one is, how do I go and train people without being a nosy busybody, without fearing they'll take over my church or ministry as a pastor, without a fear of Jezebel's, without a fear of, you know, losing my authority, having someone take all the people. You can't. You can't do that. You just have to trust God. I had people, when I had a ministry starting out, and a, like family ministries, house, church, I had a pastor that was my helper take the group. 
So you just have to trust God and do it for the Lord, not for them, not to please anybody. And I was younger then and had a lot of pressure in my private life because I had abuse going on. So that was the stage. But I learned how you could be in a Christian area that's the area. And because you're on grassroots level, the barista of fellowship level where I live at grassroots where people aren't famous, you know, maybe they do great. Maybe they don't. Then you notice the scuttlebutt of what the doctrines in Christians produce. And then you notice the scuttlebutt about how Christians regard people on TV or their own ministry or being in ministry. And then you notice the difference in doctrines. So when I grew up, I grew up, let's say, as a pastor's child, a white pastor child. All right. So all I remember, he joined an organization of Baptists. He was ordained under Baptists before I was born. He and my, you know, my mother wasn't the pastor. She was the pastor's wife. That was very traditional. One reason I don't like sitting on the front row, I sit in the back, is because I can just think about God. But my mother never wanted to sit on the front row. She just had this thing. She was very... I don't know, she had just a lot of fear of different things, a lot of things. So she sat back so she wouldn't be the center of attention. And I guess that rubbed off. I don't care about being the center of attention, really. I'm really more confident online now after these years. I'm really more con confident one-to-one -one with the anointing. I'm confident under the anointing, but when I'm there in a basically attending a meeting, standing at a party, anything. I'm not under the anointing like that, so I get more reserved, even timid. Because I'm just made that way. I'm explaining this because people are wondering. Some people are curious, too curious. I have an introvert side, which I enjoy, with God, hearing God, perceiving God, with ministry, getting ideas, creating. Then I have my extrovert, which comes for a while. Then it uses up, then I go back, I need to incubate, incubate just to get that recharged. So that's why I don't mind hours online like a lot of other people that are similar. A lot of people these days with the internet. The issue is I don't do only ministry. I don't only think about it, I think, unless the Lord brings it up, but then I do try to work out, have a natural side, and always have a family side. So I try to be not spooky, but I try to hear God and take off and do nothing and have fun and be with people. And then I do have my, you know, prophetic side. So as I grew up remembering order and the teaching about going to church, well, I know that I had to go because I was the pastor child. I don't remember anyone, you know, I just thought it was dull. And that was being a Baptist, you know, before I grew up. I remember I hated because mom wanted me to look perfect. I hated going because I had to dress up and look perfect. And she made me little dresses, which is so sweet. But they had little itchy crinoline, at, you know, when I was younger. But I just remember I felt, I don't know, I thought it was tame or just uninteresting. Though I met the Lord, I got saved. And then later when Billy Graham was on TV, I really got the message. And I really went, oh man, I don't want to not go to heaven. So I repented and age 12, listening outside my grandmother's door. She lived with us part of the year when they taught school and had the church. So therefore, I was really under conviction. And I know it's because they really loved me and they really led me to the Lord and they really modeled the Lord. And it wasn't about just going to church. It was not, 
oh, let's pretend, oh, let's fake it, oh, let's put on a good front to go to church. No, they really lived it. And it wasn't about being a Baptist. It was about being a Christian, but really it was about loving God and wanting to please Him. Being led by the Spirit. All the women on my mother's side of the family coming down from her great, her, her grandmother, her mother, my mother, my aunt, her sister, my sister, me, and my father and his side, at least the women, they heard God. Nobody spoke in tongues at that time. And that's important to note. You do not have to pray in tongues and be a charismatic, be prophetic, but you can at least learn how to hear God clearly based on the Bible, based on the inward witness of the Holy Spirit and knowledge and a relationship with the Lord. It's fun. It really is. So I remember my grandmother from Alabama would drive up and she, my grandmother is very intelligent. She taught herself Greek and Hebrew, the first female, I think, to graduate in three years from University of Virginia, University of Richmond, West Hampton back then, early in the 1900s. But anyway, she taught herself, yet she had no common sense. So one day, I know my, she was driving herself and my, her mother, the grandmother up to see us in Virginia. And the story went that because of her lack of common sense and directions, she was praying and the Lord got her up here. She was led by the Spirit, but she drove the wrong way at one point. <laughs> Ooh la la, that's not good. So God gave her grace and we don't assume a thing. Uh, so I grew up with calm, just go to church. The husband's head of the household, like I said, Ephesians 5.21, mutual respect and the fear of the Lord and family and spouse. And then out it trickles down to the your authority, the church. So I remember my father in the church being, you know, in charge of the church, but he had a board and a team and he never brought problems home. He never accused anybody. So it was pretty painless for me. Now when I go over to the Jesus people, it's more like praise and worship, informal. You know, when I was in my teens, 20s, it was more informal. And you start what we see now, the swarm church, the tribal church, which is me, dressed down church. And because my parents were wise, they never, you know, they didn't have a stickler. You don't wear slacks. You don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Yet you knew some things you don't do you know, smoking and stuff like that. But it wasn't filled with legalism. It was the opposite. It was like I grew up somehow under the impression that as a human being, not just a female, not a gender type, but a person type, that I was to do whatever God said. Now, the understanding of a Baptist that I used to be before I got filled with, you know, the Holy Spirit in college, was that when you marry the husband's head of the household, that's chain of command. I still believe it. I believe in the same way, the pattern of marriage as what I've said before, Ephesians 5.21, then 5.22. And if you're mutually submitted in the fear of the Lord, both of you, it really does make submitting for the woman's sake, most females, no big deal. It wasn't for me. So that goes on in the house. Let's go to the church. Right now we can go and say, I'm going to join a Christian church. Now what kind are you going to go? You're going to go Catholic. They have their certain style and order. You're going to go Baptist. They have their certain style and order. And within Baptist, you'll know some are stricter. Some are not as strict. Some even raise their hands. And some of them are very diverse and some not. 
You can go over to Baptists, which are African-American heritage, and you have a different style altogether with the basic same rules. You can go to Missionary Baptists, which I've been in many times, several times, and those are really into worship. They're a lot more formal. A lot of the Christian, to me, the African-American churches still hold a standard of looking well-dressed. Now, one reason is because I always wondered about that. How come all the, really, a lot of people that aren't African-American, white ones, they can look pretty, you know, dressed down almost too bad, look pretty dumpy. So I think there's a balance. You want to have dignity for the Lord, a Christian appearance that's a witness like an ambassador, but not be perfect. You can dress down or dress up, whatever. I'm right now in my athletic wear casual because it's been that long a season on the mission field. So between you and God, it's fine. I think when I first started thinking about the difference between African-American Christians getting all dressed up, I thought, you know why? They're holding the standard for all of us so we don't get all dumpy. Looking pitiful for the Lord, you know, being a bad witness. The other part is I know that they had hard times when they were not treated with respect. And a lot of these people are now thanking God they have respect and they're able to be that dressed up. And they need to have their dignity, and we thank them for that. I honor that. The other part was you can go the opposite. Same with white and black and brown. You can get to celebrity, lording it over. You can get you know into materialism and pride and all that stuff. So we watch. It's a barometer of what you, your group, your child and you, your family, and you personally think is right before God with a, with a clean conscience in the fear of the Lord. If you want to have dress up and you feel it's God that he tells you to do that, go for it. If you want to dress down, whatever he says to you, do it. Just don't make a guilt trip out of it with legalism. All right. So then we go to when you want to go to a service where they really know the Holy Spirit, have great, great long worship, maybe prophetic, maybe they are dressed down. Most of them are. So you go in there and you're looking for the Holy Spirit. You're looking for the Holy Spirit. You're looking for God. You're taking the time to come. You put gas in the car, wear and tear. The kids are there. They're, you know, screaming maybe on the way. But you do your part because you love the Lord and you want to know more about the Holy Spirit. You want to feel Him, His presence, His power, His touch perhaps, and maybe get a word from the Lord. So therefore you enter into a zone where you know that Thank God many people are clean, loving, and know the Holy Spirit, and they're not into minutiae of legalism. They're not into sin-spying Phariseeism, checking everybody out to see if they're under their form of government. And that's what first brought me to this realization, a difference in going to church in America, whether legalists or not legalists. And see, because I came from freedom... God has given me freedom all my life. When I go to around legalism, man, that is, I feel it. I discern it and perceive it, especially as a prophet. So I'm teaching about this prior to during this move of God because we want people, we want no law. We want freedom, but we don't re religion. Religion always has to be right. Religion always has to be right and prove itself right and get all high, you know, haughty. And so we want humility. Ephesians 4 community is the bottom line. No legalism. 
Now, if you want to have dress up, you want to have formal, you want to have hierarchy, that's your deal. Thank God when I was in Texas, I think it was when I first got there in 2005, I went over to see Bishop Jakes's church, T.D. Jakes, because he'd really ministered me a lot over on the East Coast. I love his power. I love his, you know, soul. You know, I love the way he does things generally. So he administered me a lot. And I thought, I can't wait to go to Bishop Jakes's church. It took a long time in Dallas. Everything is at least an hour away. And then you got mega crowds. So there was this giant mega crowd. I remember it was a hot, you know, still new it was sort of like this white, big building, the Potter's House, the major big one. And I went there, and I could hardly find a parking space. And when I did, it was far away. And then I looked, and I thought, man, there's no cloud in the sky. It was 105 degrees and a white, hot day in this white building. And there was this sober African nation, it looked like, crossing the, you know, in front of my eyes with many hundreds and thousands going into the building. It was amazing. So I go inside, and I'm seated, and I notice how warm they are, respectful, not racist. They try to have other races, included Hispanic, all those different ones. So I felt very, I felt the love of the Lord. I felt the joy of the Lord and the peace of God. I felt really respected. And they welcomed me, and they were like, you know, welcoming, but warm, like a ministering warmth. When I was there that time, I went like, how many three times, five, ten, under ten times, because it was so far away. I heard Bishop Jakes. I was there in the audience of 19,000, whatever he's got. The very day he said these words, he says to the crowd, you can't have a large mega ministry like this from the Lord unless you have infrastructure. But you need to let God reveal the infrastructure, you don't want it to get hard. You don't want it to get, and I'll put, you know, what my, I don't know if he really said all this, but you don't want it to be a bureaucracy, a controlling mechanism. You don't want it to be like a, a barnacle, you know, I mean, not a barnacle, but a, yeah, the barnacles on a coral reef, not a barnacle, but coral. When a coral reef is live and thriving, the coral is there, but when it starts to calcify and get hardened, that is when it hurts people. The sharp coral damages people. And boats get, you know, they get ruined. They get, they crash onto the, the, they can't see the hidden hurt. So that things happen that cause destruction. So when I was there, I knew that was God because I had been in Virginia thinking this for prior to that in the 90s when I saw the Phariseeism, the move of God that moved into town that wasn't there before. It wasn't like my daddy. It was TV affected. It was these doctrines about shepherding, being under. And then I had been in Christian ministry around Richmond a long time, black and white reconciliation, uh, being down in the city, being in the suburb, suburban, urban. I knew the area. And I had not encountered that law. But when leaders change and people move into town and new doctrines, the winds of doctrine sweep in, which they were, including debit card sales, vitamin sales, what do you call it? Those uh, multi-level marketing sales, which I never did. I never felt that was me. So what I did, I just saw, because I was in a community, I was on TV, I was, you know, had my own ministry and 
not renowned, not famous, but I was recognized to be invited by other pastors and leaders for many dec- a decade, at least 15 years. And then these new doctrines, which I now call Phariseeism, shepherding, big I, little you, over and under, crept in. And at one night, when I was led by the Spirit to go worship at one of these churches, it was before I knew I'd get attacked before I knew my name would be dragged through the mud because I was not by shepherding, which is now what I call WELP, Western European Levitical Patriarchism, after I studied the doctrines, the root of all this. But back then, I, you know, I had gone thinking, you know, here I am, I am a my own ministry, I'm the head of the ministry, the head of my own Christian ministry, public ministry. I am there because I have a board, you know, they don't, I don't check with, I don't, I'm not one of these things that, oh, I got to do everything as a female, I got to check everything, you know, make sure I'm perfect. No, I'd know them and I would ask them questions for advice, accountable, so to speak. So then I was there as a mom and a wife and I had said, do you mind if I go? And he said, no, that's how I live my life. Not a big deal, not formal, just letting the Lord lead everybody. So I went to this meeting, and I didn't know that in the middle of the great Holy Spirit, some great Holy Spirit and worship, you can find the doctrines of devils. Maybe they're real devils. Maybe they're not. But they're looking for devils and teaching about Jezebel. When I'd go, let's say I'd studied, I'd been Baptist Vineyard, all these things were happy. I'd been through Word of Faith, which I call crazy. And, you know, that was good. It was before it got perverted at the grassroots by what went on. I just come from studying that. My mom and dad, my mother moved to Tulsa when... My father died, my sister did, and I would go up there to the headquarters of faith, Word of Faith, Kenneth Hagin, and I would see things, and then I'd come back. And God was teaching me doctrines. So I'm open-minded, but I'm not, I'm a noble Berean. So I came after the, I call them more type A, aggressive, assertive, happy, uh, quoting their Bible, doing things. And then he shifted me in 91 to the prophetic, which is Christian prophetic, and I, I noticed the difference. I called it a type B. The people there were more intuitive inside themselves. And, and not many people, I'll be honest, at this particular one church, that was years ago, 20, over almost 30 years ago, they were like word junkies. They were like unfriendly. And one day, you know, this is another aside. Of, of, they got a secretary later, a couple of years later, and this lady smiled. She actually had joy. Turned out she'd been through word of faith as well as prophetic. So you can tell doctrines if they're withdrawn, if they're staring at you because you don't, you know, you're not of their culture and they're suspicious and they're unfriendly. That's an issue right there. That is a Billy Graham type of balance that's needed. You need to go back outside yourself and think about others and improve that side. Something is off in doctrine where they're unfriendly, not smiling, overly self-involved, and overly into their word from the Lord for them. That means prophetic junkies, word junkies. I'm not that, and I teach against it. But you're younger. You are open, and you are wanting the Holy Spirit. And, you're, and you know, I believe also that because of just the way God has graced me to know, I don't go in there looking for a prophetic word personally. I have, I think I've had like two 
major prophetic words in my life that really anything. I don't have this book of, never did that. Some people I also know keep books that are like two inches, three inches volumes of prophetic words. Maybe I'm ignorant, and I don't mean to hurt anybody, but I'm saying I believe, I think that's my background, that you hear, if you're a real Christian mature leader, that you will hear God first, and that when you get a prophetic word, it will basically confirm it, affirm it. And that's how I basically believe. Yet there's so much, you know, different doctrines, teachings, experiences in life, lay and leader, that I don't want to, you know, be dogmatic. But I am saying that's my bottom line belief for me, that you can hear God if you really have a relationship, you're really pure in heart, you're not dependent on man or on humans, and you know your Bible, then God can speak to you first. And you should probably know, everybody, John sixteen thirteen that when the Spirit of truth will come, He will guide you into all truth. That's a whole nother lesson, but that is a huge... It says, when the Spirit of truth shall come... He will guide you into all truth, and He will talk about things to come. That's the spirit of prophecy that you can grow and nurture, and you should, to give a word that edifies, comforts, and strengthens other people. All right. So then you go and you think, well, I'm going to, I have my own ministry. This is where I saw it. I'm a Christian coming from a real long pedigree of natural quality noble Bereans in ministry, real ministers. So I'm going to go, as the Lord leads me, to just take a peek and go into the ministry, visit, go to revival, which I did. I had no clue. God never warned me about doctrines that once you set foot on their property, practically, maybe it's just because it was a female, they own you. They don't want to get to know you. There's no relationship, at least one with me. And with, they have no fear of the Lord, or they wouldn't think of people as objects, as territory, as their property. But I started seeing it when I got into the groups that teach on Jezebel, the prophetic groups, nowhere else. Nowhere else has been like that. There are a few that I could say word of faith. There are a few charismatics that are in the community that hang with those that did get that Pharisee spirit. And that was a nightmare for me because I'll be honest, some of those were word of faith. But if you look at the top, I'm being gracious now. If you look at people outside this tiny church level, you don't, even the mega church in town that was word of faith didn't do that. They weren't like that. It was the legalism of the Pharisee yeast that this is how we do it in our preacher's clique. This is how we do it. Now, I had board members and friends and people I fellowshiped with. There were pastors that were really a lot of natural degrees, natural PhDs coming from different backgrounds, widely educated. And those people were pure in heart. Everybody had a tinge back in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, most of them, if they spoke in tongues to have some of the whelp in there. Usually the refined whelp are not going to be your enemy, your nightmare. They're just going to bristle if you look too strong as you're a female. And they used to be not diverse, but they tried. Some of them really were. So that's what we're all imperfect, including myself. But I'm saying the doctrines are what sail the ship or crash the ship or make it a cranky ship in any fellowship. The fellowship <laughs> will crash or sail sink or burn or thrive and be alive based on your doctrine. 
getting it right. And your doctrine can be great with Holy Spirit, great with your faith, great with all these things. You know the book backwards and forwards. But if you have a Pharisee, accuser, Levitical, critical, legalistic under the law, it will affect the name of Jesus. It will affect the atmosphere of your fellowship. And people will find out they're getting backbitten. They'll lose trust. They'll find their families being disrespected and they'll leave. Such is, according to Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, if it's a friendly fellowship, really it's a command from Paul to the pure in heart, just turn away. And I did. And I needed to. So you get out there in the world, and then you move to different states. And I went, toured the states, and I lived in, you know, I went to Florida, North Carolina, prophetically, and Tulsa, and Pennsylvania and Alabama and then Dallas for 15 years. Now I'm out of Dallas back in the Charlotte more mature down-to-earth community, Charlotte and that area, Fort Mill. So it's great. South Carolina, North Carolina, it's a really different ball game. It's a community, not a crisis or a competition. So then I had to grow as a learning curve. What I knew Thank God I knew the Lord. Thank God I had a great, normal pastor dad. Thank God I'd seen non-critical ministry, non-legalistic ministry, diverse ministry all my life, knew black and white. So then you get down there and you think, man, I visit, and it's like, oh, it's a female. She's meant to be under us. It's like, oh, we're going to rope another one. There's a new one. Let's add them to the herd, but we won't respect them or love them enough to introduce ourselves, have anything to do with them. In fact, we'll be remote and turn away. But yet, we'll keep count. Are they under us? Who are they under? And see, all this doctrinal fruit reflects as a prophet. It makes me think, what did, what, this isn't about me. This is about Jesus' house. This is about certain kind of prophetic houses that are doing this all the time everywhere. Not just Dallas. Dallas is just a huge, giant pile of them compared to the other parts of the United States, which are not mega- Centric metroplexes, cosmopolitan. All right, and then different groups that dwell as natives on up that are Christians will affect the population with a subculture. And that's what was my hard word. You know, the word was it looked like the subculture of red state country, all wise, complacent, been there, done there, well fed, immature, unloving, man, all about achieving keeping their my four no more I used to think of you know if we're a community if God wants a Christian community led by the spirit diverse then when it's more like the musketeers we live as a Christian as a pastor as a leader a mature person as all for one one for all but what I kept running into and bumping into that got my gall was it was more like the three stooges one for all, all for one, but every man for themselves, every human for themselves. So I'm being strong, and this was not in the evangelicals, white or black or brown. But I think we've all got, every one of us, including me, has got doctrine that's wrong. And so let's just ask God, but the main thing I'm working on is me. Am I going to assess or accuse? Am I going to be a racist, biased, man-hater, woman-hater? Am I going to be a legalistic, fault-finder, sin-spire Pharisee? We can all work on that. Am I going to be 
under the law are going to be freedom? Do I really know the difference? Because as a prophet, people are under the law, thinking that's how the Old Testament prophet was, when really Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says that in the Old Testament, the old days, they were like that. Not many people could hear God because the prophets heard God. Jesus wasn't sent yet to give the Holy Spirit. However, in Hebrews 1, 2, it says that in these days, New Testament, Christ following, the new day right now, New Testament, that our role model for the prophet is Jesus, Christ, who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, and the Lord was with him, Acts 10.38. Revelation 19.10, the spirit of the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know what? If it's the spirit of prophecy, would Jesus tail bear? Would he accuse? Would he spread rumors? Character assassinate like some of these would be a biased, racist bias, a whelp like the Pharisees when they threw. You know, the Pharisees have women, some, some, some kind of leader women issue. It's, it's in America, the witch watcher thing now, the New England patriarchs whelp that had accused all those women by spooky vibes, not even any real evidence. And then we have it down in the Pharisees. Maybe that's where it started. Because it said that the Pharisees came and brought the woman they caught in adultery and threw it at Jesus' feet. I wonder why those men didn't bring the man. They only bring the woman. That's what the Pharisee Levitical patriarch does. It's all about them, all about men. And it always fault finds and blames it on the woman, but never holds the man accountable. That's in church too, believe me. So we look at that and we think, what did Jesus do? Did he accuse the woman caught in adultery? No. But he paused, Christ paused, he waited for his father to tell him what to say, and he looked at that group of men, the Pharisees, and he said, which one of you have never sinned, you cast the first stone? And what I think is, Jesus they, they were all ready to stone her, the her. They were all excited and happy and juiced up. Yeah, we're going to get to polish her off because we're so, un, we're so holy. She's this moral failure. When Jesus looked at that group of men and he said, which one of you have never, never cast the first stone? You know that in that group of men, there's bound to be somebody who'd lusted had a moral failure, committed adultery, maybe fornication, maybe even twice. And Jesus didn't say that, but man, he knew what to say, and it, they just slunk off and went back and retreated. So you get into the topic of theology, Christian minister. You get into the topic of theology, and it's about relationships. It's about the fear of the Lord, not fear of other people. It's about being respectful and having a community that's safe and trustworthy, not one that's gossiping, backbiting, fault-finding, spreading rumors based on false theology. If I look at Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at every action, every relationship, every how he acted and reacted, every single one, and that is my Abiding Relationship Theology website, relationshiptheology.org, 
But I mean, if we look at that, that will help teach us what is critical Levitical Phariseeism because he never acted like that one bit. Yet out in the field and the grassroots where I've been embedded all my life, that is the huge, to me, the huge issue for the falling away in America, the church. The critical Levitical, they don't know when to say when, the Friendly Fire Fellowship of First, Second Timothy one through Second Timothy three one through five, before the before the COVID, that was my really that was what the mission on I was on some of it, to know I never would have thought it in my life. I thought Second Timothy from such turn away of the accusers and boasters was directed to the heathens. No, it can go for the church as well. The accuser ministry. So I now teach to preserve Jesus Christ and people from getting wounded and damaged in the name of Jesus Christ, trying to submit to Hebrews 10.25. I now teach all of this so that you can pray on it. It's a sila, not dogma, and see if anything you're teaching or that you are sitting under that hurts you or your family, you need to avoid it. You need to know your doctrines because the truth will set you free. I'm going to have to start at part three because I didn't really end up at just teaching basic order, discernment of boundaries. So that'll be part three of this submission. But I guess I get so concerned as a mother bear, a mama bear of a senior authority office for God's people, that that is why I toss over these temple legalistic money changers tables. What it is, Phariseeism. Phariseeism that hurts people because it accuses them is based on false teaching and a presumption that they're right. So they ha they're immature. They have not chosen to study their doctrine, for instance, in the idea of Ephesians 4 community, walking in meekness and lowliness with common doctrine, no legalism, and multicultural community. They don't know about Ephesians 5.21 in mutual submission in the fear of the Lord, everybody. They don't know about Galatians 1, 1 and 2. They don't know about math and they don't practice it. Matthew 18, 15, if you see somebody in sin or you think they're sin or Jezebel or, or committed sin, you're supposed to make an appointment and one-to-one -one upfront respectfully confront to preserve the Christian relationship in a fear of the Lord loving manner. Galatians 6, 1, they avoid, never teach it. It says, if you are a leader and you find somebody in a fault, in a sin, you are to humbly and meekly go over there and correct them in case you yourself are guilty of falling into the same fault. So all those relationship issues are really huge and those doctrines are scarce. That's why we have the fault finding. That's why we have the flaws being magnified. That's why I have to teach correction, reproof, even reform in this ministry. Because we are loving the non-believer, the people who want to visit, the people who want to Hebrews 10.25, and when they show up, they're accused as being demons by the false teaching of Phariseeism. The false teacher of accuser Phariseeism. Usually the Pharisees, if you study them in the Bible, they had many issues. They took up a lot of offerings. They were guilt. Jezebel, I mean, they were um, fault finding of Jesus, the new move of God in town. The new Christian move, they were against it because it scared them. They were jealous of it. And also they were scared he'd take their turf, turf protecting ministry. So many more things to say and many more things to teach on. But let's put it this way as I close. I get to close. I get to get away from all that stuff. And I'm grateful. I love them. I love Jesus. 
but the thing is we want to start this is a dawn of a new day churches in a local tiny little region should not be a prison house a must-do legalism we're going to watch you and see if you go to church then we're going to talk about you and accuse you label you as a evil church hopper not church goer like we are that's using hebrews 10:25 as a law i don't see billy graham doing that I don't see Jesus doing that. I see legalistic Pharisees who are not fair. You see, I see them doing it all the time. And I've noticed that for 30, 40 years. But it wasn't my daddy. When like the Christians I hang with. No, they love people. They love Jesus. They care for people. They're not critics. They're just thinking, oh, I assess. I assess someone is not going to church. I wonder why. Let me go talk with them and find out. I assess so-and-so, Sister Mary, fell into sin. You know what? I pray for her. And if I am in her line of authority, her parent, her preacher, she's in the ministry, then I humbly, Galatians 6, 1, and or Matthew 18, 15, go confront her because I love her. I will show her respect. That's E-O-R-R. All right, that's the line of defense. This is the submitted seal, and I will close for now, but there will be a part three. This is Tavo D'Arcy signing off for now from Tavo Creative, Creative Leadership. Have a great day.